Welcome to Novus Navigator. Join us for this series of conversations with Chicago local entrepreneurs that have carved their own paths to success. Hi everyone, welcome to Novus Navigator. We're here today with Levi Bear, who is a co-founder of Second Shift, a co-working space in Logan Square. Levi is also an adjunct instructor of entrepreneurship at DePaul University. Um, Levi, why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Um, my name is Levi Bear. I'm a co-founder of Second Shift, this co-working space that we're in right now. Um, I've been doing that for two years of operation. Uh, I'm also an adjunct instructor at DePaul University, and by trade, I'm a facilitator and team building consultant. So have worn many hats, and right now, really excited about co-working and um, kind of the intersection of entrepreneurship and bias and culture and language and communication. So tell us about the beginnings of your entrepreneurial journey. How did you sort of get started? Um, I, I talk a lot about having grown up on a farm. Uh, I grew up in northern Minnesota um, on a farm with a single mother raising two kids um, and also in like a mixed uh, culture household, at least in that I'm brown, <laughs> big surprise, uh, spoiler, and uh, my mom is white and my sister is white uh, and so I grew up with um, in a community that I also didn't exactly look like and I mention all that to say that um, you know, as you go through the world, you kind of figure out who you are in it and what you want to be doing in it. And I think those experiences can shape any of us. And so, you know, from a farm, I, I, be, <clears throat> I was really hardworking. There was always work to do. There's a saying, there's work to do on the farm. There's always work on the farm. And so there was always work to do. And I don't mind working hard now. I put in the hours if you need to put them in. Um, and from that cultural side of things, uh, not afraid to stick my neck out there, not afraid to be different, um, not afraid to be doing my own thing. And so what that means in terms of becoming an entrepreneur is I didn't really think I want to run my own business um, until I'm in my mid thirties now. And I didn't think that until I was like 28 or 29 years old. So I never really had like, I want to be an entrepreneur as a, as a solid thought. However, with that independent mindset of kind of our living situation, both of my parents who were divorced, got divorced and, uh, you know, had two households early on in my life. Both those people that I got to spend a lot of time with, um, are very independent thinkers. Uh, I always say my mom beats, goes to the beat of her own drum. She's a very unique woman, uh, a very lovely, wonderful person, very unique though. And my dad too. Um, and so um, I think they instilled in me some ideals about not, you don't always have to follow the path that has been carved out and you can do a little bit of it yourself uh, and not be afraid to make some splashes and make some waves along the way. And it might take some hard work and you might be different than everybody else. Uh, and that that's not a bad thing to do. So um, I think I had those ideals early and you know the, the one sentence summary is that I went through grad school, took time off, or sorry, went to undergrad, took time off, saw a career that I wanted, which was team building, mm -hmm. went to grad school to pursue that career. And by the time I graduated, um, I, didn't, I just didn't wanna go work for the man. I just didn't wanna go put my time into somebody else's pocket and so, uh, that was five years ago um, and been kind of chasing entrepreneurship since I really had that idea that I want to work for myself. Gotcha. Uh, and what did you go to undergrad for? Both my undergrad and grad school degree in communication studies. Okay. Undergrad was just kind of a general comm degree. So I was studying stuff like public speaking and small group communication, stuff like that. 
So you came out of undergrad uh, understanding that you didn't necessarily want to go and work for someone and build someone else's company. What, what sort of got you thinking that? The thing that got me to want to really start, like actually start to go for my own thing was uh, a mentor relationship, okay. a professor in, in grad school that I had built a good mentor, mentee, student professor relationship with. And this person went out of their way to you know, sit down and talk to me. I think it's really important to have those people that you can be treated with equity. And like, even if there's an age difference or career difference, like people that will talk to you like an adult, um, especially when you're a younger person and people that will give you responsibility and respect and that sort of thing. And so I was very grateful for that uh, relationship. And that person said, you have the aptitude, you have the understanding of what we're talking about in class. You could go, they kind of laid out the pathways for me because I said, I don't know what to do next. I thought I was just gonna go be a change management consultant. And they said, yeah, you sure can. You can go work at one of the big four companies, um, get kind of chewed up by that system, make a lot of money, not have any free time. We see a lot of people doing this coming out of places like DePaul and other schools in Chicago, going to the, the big four is the a big um, consulting firms. A lot of people go to those jobs and yeah, you make 70 grand out the door and um, or out, out of the gate and you have no life. Uh, and and you, you either climb the ladder or you get chewed up and spit out the bottom end of that and kind of figure out something else to do. And none of those options sounded good to me. I was like, I don't like any of those options that you just said. And so a third option was um, you could try to sell your services yourself. And so that was the first time that somebody said, hey, you could do this on your own. Um, I would not, maybe this is jumping ahead, I would not advise that actually to others. It was very difficult. and. Uh, maybe we'll be able to get back into like where people come from in the world and what uh, resources they do have built into their lives already. Yeah. I did not have many. And I think given that situation, I should have taken more time. Um, so again, I'm kind of getting ahead here, I know. But yeah, I maybe foolishly, but at the same time, maybe exactly as needed, dove right into trying to start my own at first team building consulting business with a with a friend we started a company called bold b consulting okay. um, was the first venture that i went for so did you end up graduating from one of our universities in chicago or so i went undergrad in minnesota okay. where i'm from wearing my minnesota hoodie right now um and uh then took some time off lived in san francisco uh, graduated undergrad, did not want to go to school anymore. I was like, I'm done with school. Uh, I honestly, I can go on record saying I don't love the academic setting. Um, I was pretty smart, I guess, and so I was always bored kind of by school. And I don't think that people on both end of sort of the, um, the like engagement spectrum, I think school kind of fails people on either side of that. A lot of times, I don't want to be too critical of school here, but uh, I had kind of graduated being like, you, you lost my attention along the way. And I know that some people, it never gets their attention. Um, and so I was just like, I'm just gonna go work and be a person in the world and uh, graduated in 2007. And there was a recession in process and there were no jobs. Um, and so I had a tough go right out of school where I had thought that I was, I mean, I knew that I was pretty smart. I had always had an easy time in undergrad. And then I was like, hey world, do you, do you want me? And the world said, no, we're good, we're all set. Um, and they were saying that to everybody who was you know, 21 and 22 and hopeful. And um, it was a tough time to go get a job. So I just kind of bummed around, did work and uh, eventually realized I wanted to go to, met somebody who was another mentor and another influential person to say, you could, you, with your interest in interpersonal communication with organizational development, you should become a 
an actual like consultant in this field and that inspired me to go to grad school here at DePaul in Chicago. So you graduate from your master's program at DePaul. What are you doing right after that? I really had tailored my master's degree to uh, become like a consultant somewhere. Um, I always said I wanted to be like George Clooney in the movie Up in the Air. He's a consultant that goes around and in that movie fires people. Uh, not really what I wanted to do. I always said I wanted to do the fun side of HR. Mm -hmm. Like how do you make people happy and engaged and thus more productive and have longer, longer uh, longevity have longevity, more longevity at, at the places they work. Yeah. And um, so no, not necessarily in school, but upon graduating, again, that conversation that I had, really one conversation, which is like, you could do your own thing. My fr I graduated on a, from grad school on a Sunday. I went to my new job on a Monday where I was mentoring and running a mentorship program for teens in Chicago. Young, young black men who had been involved in the justice system didn't have a lot of opportunities in front of them. My first job was building a mentor program to give them better opportunities and better training. Super tough job. My friend who gave me the connection to that job, she ended up being my first business partner. And we said we could do this sort of training and sort of capacity building for teams and organizations. And I had the team building background. And so we went into business together to try to make that happen. Awesome. And is that friend Nicole? No. So that okay. friend, uh, Jamie, was the first person I started a business with okay. here in Chicago. Um, and then, you know, a year later, we kind of were like, well, we're just, we're just not seeing the traction or, or the like progress that we thought we'd see. Um, and we both kind of made decisions of what we want to do next. She took some opportunities to get into a more serious role at her work. Yeah. Um, and I kept wanting to build my own thing. So I just stayed then in the realm of entrepreneurship. You're always going to make some tough choices along the way. And that was a pivotal moment where I made a choice to stay in what I felt was like a less demanding work environment. Sure. I mean, you can, all, you, know, you can always go for different types of jobs that give you different types of life security or situations. With a master's degree in organizational communication and training that I still to this day could go get a, a well-paying job mm -hmm. for. Um, at that point, that was, I think, I think four years ago, I said, no, I'm going to get a job as an administrative assistant um, and make much less than what I could based on my education and do so so that I have the time and energy to uh, start my own, keep doing my own work okay. and keep working towards that. So then I just pivoted and instead of doing that with two people, I relaunched myself and Levi Bear Consulting, my own kind of business, and uh, just try to do team building on my own. I had also become a Myers-Briggs facilitator so I could give personality type uh, sessions. I have a couple you know, trainings under my belt, tools under my belt. I made a card game that's a really fun training tool called Insight. So I was designing, it was kind of this like entrepreneurial spirit of designing my own trainings, my own facilitations, um, picking up gigs here and there. I mean, I was here and there getting paid. And I mean, I remember I made like $1,400 in a month once. And I was like, this is it. I, I'm, th I'll just do this every month and be good. Um, even though it's not a ton of money, of right. course. Uh, but I was like, that I can live off of that. And I quit that administrative assistant job that I had. And I was like, I'll just drive Lyft if I need to. Yeah. And I'll just be a consultant. And um, yeah, that didn't work either. <laughs> that didn't work. And you just, you know, again, making those decisions along the way and choices. And it's not like I regret those choices yeah. because you know, in the moment you make decisions with the best information you have and you, you always do, I think all of us do the best we can to make, make the right choices. But um, in the long run, no, that didn't pan out either. And, uh, but you learn from every single one. So, you know, learning again what to do next and 
Um, started teaching, thankfully, as a, as a good job uh, to have in the background. And honestly, I wasn't comfortable when I started doing this. Now I'm kind of owning my story a little bit more, was bartending as well and did that to, to help pay the bills. So I was teaching and bartending and then along the way, uh, my business partner now, Nicole Vasquez, was like, we should uh, start a co-working space together. Um, and I had been building community with this group, Coffee and Conversation, which is gonna turn five years old next, this month. Um, the same month that now Second Shift is turning two years old, so March seems to be a month where I start things. Uh, but I had started and, and was leading this entrepreneurial community building event, monthly event called Coffee and Conversation. Nicole said, that's been going great. We've worked together in this. We should build a co-working space. Again, I was teaching, great job. Again, I was bartending, great job, just not the job I wanted to be doing. Um, and we added on co-working space. And uh, yeah, started working on that. In March of 2016, Nicole asked me if I wanted to start a co-working space. And in March of 2017, we opened the doors for business. And now it's March of 2019 and it's two years later and we're still here. Hey. <laughs> so when Nicole came to you, did she have this fully fleshed out business plan or was it sort of in the works? What happened there? Sure, so uh, yeah, great question. Nicole already had a different co-working space. So my business partner, Nicole, formed The Shift, which was a co-working space in Uptown. Um, and it was one of the first neighborhood-focused co-working spaces. Now we're seeing this kind of plethora of them come around. And that's great, we're, we love that. Uh, we're also very proud of uh, our team being, you know, one of the first ones, one of the first independently owned ones. And so Nicole forged that path, I think, really for the Chicago landscape, to be honest, but also then for our company, because that was in Uptown. We're in Logan Square here where Second Shift is. And so she said, let's start a co-working space. She had the idea. She had the industry knowledge, the expertise. Um, I brought in my own set of uh, skills and expertise. And so we said, let's put our complementary skills together. We both be believe in people. We both believe in community building. We both know that when you create a space, create space for people to uh, gather and network and informally uh, interact with each other. IDEO, the firm IDEO calls them casual collisions. We both really, really believed in that concept. And so we knew that we could, uh, any team's gonna have trials and tribulations as a team forms and works and grows. We believe that we could not only get through that, but we believed so much in this idea that was Second Shift. And all we had was the idea to get back to answering your question. Mm -hmm. we, we made everything together. We made, I mean, meeting after hour after hour after hour in uh, conference rooms, um, planning this thing, making the business plan, getting funding, uh, designing it, doing a Kickstarter or an uh, Indiegogo, like, yeah. Gotcha. And eventually, eventually, you know, construction and signing leases and all that stuff. So it sounds like Nicole came to you with this this idea and you guys started business planning. Would you say that's a super important process before you jump in and start a business? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny. So because I also teach entrepreneurship, I kind of get what you're asking too. Mm -hmm. And we, um, we started with a business plan because we needed to get funding. And so we had to show somebody else the idea uh, and you have to send them something, whether that's a paragraph in an email or a crayons written on a napkin. Uh, you, if you need money for a pro, if you need money, or like if you're gonna tell your family member, hey, can you give me 500 bucks? I'm gonna do this thing. I need to buy a camera so I can start doing videos. Uh, one way or another, you gotta tell somebody if you need money. And so uh, building a brick, starting a brick and mortar business is not cheap. 
Um, we needed a bunch of money, so it had to be a really uh, formalized plan, not only of the business, but when you give us money, what does that mean and what does that look like? So we just started doing a ton of research. Uh, we knew, we, again, we, we knew co-working and we knew community building really well, but as an entrepreneur, you have to do all the other parts of the business. So we just, you know, doing the research, investigating, figuring out everything else that's gonna go into taking money from people. What does that look like to give it back to them or not, or however that looks. Um, so we did that. Now, also, should we just dive in and do something? Yeah, of course. I mean, always I'll advocate for, you know, and if a question comes up here where it's like, what, what do you do? Like, get out there and do the beta version, test it do it for free, get your first 10 customers. Like if you can't get 10 customers, you have a hobby on your hands, not a business, right? Like get started with something. So um, yeah, we, I mean, we did, eventually we were doing pop-up co-working, we were doing this sort of stuff, but we already had her first co-working space to validate her ability to run a business. The fact that this business model we were going for of community-focused co-working was viable. So we had that to stand on and a lot of our like work and conversations and business planning stood on that groundwork of that existing thing. But absolutely people should go out there and test it to some degree, mm-hmm. uh, especially, especially before you put serious money into anything. You know, spend, spend a couple hundred or maybe thousand if you have it, dollars that lets you show something to somebody. But uh, I wouldn't build a co-working space before I knew that it was a good idea. Right. You know? yeah. I would do something first to make sure that I had a handle on <laughs> what are we getting in. You know, and there's a, there's a, I mean, people talk about the lean model. Um, so build, build lean, build lean for sure and test stuff along the way. So was there uh, any part of the business plan that really helped you validate this idea before you guys started executing? It's weird. I don't want to like throw us under the, I don't want to like expose too much or something, but like I, Sometimes I look back and I'm like, we just, we just, tr- uh, we did research. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can tell you, I know 77,000 people lived in Logan Square at the time that we started. You know, we, we pulled demographic reports, how many people make the, media, the income level that we think we're going to sell to, you know, is there just literally enough people around? But our, you know, our validation came from, and I, I say this all the time, is that I've lived in Logan Square for 10 years. I did my my master's degree sitting at coffee shops here in Logan Square. So I worked at Intelligentsia for five hours a day on an iPad typing grad school papers. Um, and in doing that, I say that because I saw the community around us. I saw the people working for hours and hours with me in those coffee shops. And so you could, you could put, punch some holes in my story here and say, Levi, that's a sample size of 20 or whatever. Um, but I, I, living in this neighborhood for that long of time, you know, do we need to do market research? Yeah, there's no co-working spaces. You know, there is, there was one, there was a Logan Share was another co-working space. They had 14 dedicated desks and they've been sold out for years. Seems like a market opportunity, right? So it was really, it was quick. And what I kind of mean by like, am I exposing too much is our research and our validation was, was so solid that we're like, of course it's gonna work. Of course this neighborhood that's honestly gentrifying, that has this incoming affluent population, um, that doesn't have a community-focused space for people to pay to work out of, that doesn't have an alternative to all these coffee shops, that there's tons of pop- coffee shops popping up, but there's not an alternative to sit there. Um, yeah, it was like we were secure in the knowledge that this was going to be a good idea. So you're at this point where you have your business plan. 
what comes next? You're like giving it to investors. How are you reaching out to these investors? Is it like cold calls? Is this friends and family around? How do you people in Chicago you're reaching out to cold calls? Yeah, good question. Uh, on uh, building Second Shift overall is has been the hardest thing I've ever done with my life. Um, overseeing the construction of it, which I did uh, mostly was me, uh, was was probably one of the most stressful things I've ever gone through. Um, but I say all that because fundraising was also like one of the most difficult things. And I think it does get to, you know, there's maybe a piece of it of, um, no, not maybe, I'm sure that a piece of it is also, I mentioned this before we started rolling of, I think nowadays we should be looking at what people's networks are in terms of privilege and affluence <clears throat> and demographics and I don't have the family. I, I, there's nobody in my family that I could turn to for any significant amount of money that would go into building a, a brick and mortar business. <clears throat> and so, you know, for both of us, uh, and I'm not going to speak for Nicole's situation, but we both wanted the income, the, the re sorry, the startup capital. So we did a friends and family round mm -hmm. and we wanted that to come from people who believed in this idea that looked at the business plan, looked at us and said, yeah, that's gonna work, of course that's gonna work. Of course you two are the people that are gonna make this happen and we love your idea, it's great. And guess what? Some people looked at that and said, this is not the thing that I wanna be involved in. You two seem capable, uh, I don't like that, you know, there's different, I don't like the numbers, I don't like the timeline, I don't like whatever, I mean, uh, it, there's no there's no secret that no one's getting rich quick off of co-working and so we did what you would call an altruistic investment which is uh, there's three types of investors there's hedon or there's uh, economic I want to get my money back and I want good money in return there's hedonistic I want to be involved and run it and we said you're not going to have any decision making power because we're the experts here and there's altruistic which is we believe in this we believe in you we think that the world needs this. And so we're gonna come on board financially um, and make this thing happen. And so that's what we did. Um, and to specifically answer your question, it was friends and family kind of loosely in the industry. And what we also followed is like people you know, connections through folks you know. So a lot of emails. Um, legally, you cannot advertise when you're doing these sorts of things. So you can't post on Facebook. Um, hey, anybody wanna give us a chunk of money? You, that's illegal actually. Uh, so if you have the right lawyer in place telling you that, which we did, um, you have to avoid that. And so that means you're literally just like calling, emailing, texting, begging on your knees, you know, whatever it takes um, to get the money. So. And is that a little bit of an awkward process, you know, when you're asking your friends and family for money to start this business? It is at first, I think. And I don't think it has to be as awkward as maybe a person makes it. My advice to people that might want to start a thing and might want to ask for a certain amount of any any amount of money um, is to we I think sometimes we feel uncomfortable maybe some of this is just me and you know I want to own that I want to own the fact that maybe some of it is I came from a low-income background my family didn't have a lot of money so I was not even used to talking about some of the numbers we were talking about right um, so maybe some of this is just me but I will say that yes it can feel uncomfortable and my advice is you are doing it because you believe in yourself, right? As the founder, you wouldn't be doing that unless you thought it was gonna work and you, you know it's going to, not just think, you know it's going to work because otherwise stop doing it and you're wasting everybody's time, your own time most importantly. You believe in it, you know it's working, you believe in yourself. 
sit in that and own that and take that and make a good presentation and take that to people and say, of course this is gonna work. Of course you can believe in me and this. And I'm not ashamed of asking you for money because this is a great idea and I'm a great person to be doing it. And if we have any sort of relationship at all, you probably think some of that too. And that's why I've come to you. You know, if, you're, if you are literally cold calling a stranger or like your aunt's dog walker's boyfriend's second cousin's friend, hey, I knew that you won the lottery, maybe I could, you know, that's not a really strong email you wanna send and a strong relationship you wanna tap into. But if you email and somebody and say somebody say, I'm doing something that's gonna be bonkers awesome, I thought of you specifically because I think maybe you wanna be involved in this and here's the deal, here's how you can get involved, this is what we're looking for. Do you wanna get involved? Do you know somebody else that wants to get involved? I came to you because I thought of you. And just own that situation. And I think people actually be, um, have a lot of respect for the fact that you come to them and say like, yeah, I want your money, but here's exactly why. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're gonna do with it. So you mentioned that you sort of, you know, stuck with family and friends when you were raising money to start Second Shift because they knew your passion and your drive for starting the business. W were there any other reasons that you sort of, um, you know, stayed away from traditional investors like a, a VC or an angel investor? One, we wanted to really maintain control of the project and VC does usually come with strings. From what I understand, I have never received VC, but um, venture capital is usually a high growth situation. They're looking at a certain number of return on that investment and they want it at a certain time. And we were wary of getting into a situation like that. Not that we didn't think we'd be successful, but we just, you know, you just want to be careful about that. And two, um, to get to do an altruistic raise, which is what we were doing, and we knew that, um, we had to work with people that believed in us specifically. And that's gonna come through people that have a pre-existing relationship, even if it's somebody that we know recommending us to somebody else, right? So we might not know, it might not be that I've ever sat down and had dinner with that person, but maybe somebody else is saying, yeah, these two, I believe in them. If you, if you want to get involved in something, they're the right people to do this with. So it's either you'll have that direct relationship or somebody else is going to be endorsing you to be able to make that happen. So, uh, you know, we're glancing over a lot here. You know, you oversee the construction uh, and I'm sure that's a super stressful process. Um, but Second Shift launches. And when you guys launch, do you guys have like a line out the door? Uh, how do you get your first customers? Uh, one thing we did, which I think was the right thing to do, is we wanted to hit the ground running. We wanted to build, I mean, you're talking about opening, a, investing a ton of money, spending a ton of money, and then uh, our business model, as co-working usually is, is based on monthly memberships. And so you don't want to start at zero, right? You want to start with something. And so we did a bunch of stuff. We did, uh, like I said, pop-up co-working events. We, we pre-sold memberships on uh, a crowdfunding campaign to build a buzz for it and get some cash inflow. Um, we just did a number of things to create, but you know, Nicole and I both, a lot of networking already. Um, and so working through our networks as much, you know, people were tired of hearing people, by the time Second Shift opened, people were like, we got it. Like, I know you're opening a co-working space, please stop talking about it. And, and no, you can't. I mean, when you're passionate about your thing, when, you're, when that thing is your lifeblood, uh, you, you don't stop talking about it, nor should you. And so we just did a lot of that to build as much buzz as possible. And we opened with, I think we had like, honestly, 14 memberships, 14 real memberships when we started. I think we had like 25 fr people total 
some of which are like friends and whatnot that like kind of chipped in for like first month, you know, gave us that little boost in the first month. Yeah. But I think like people that started sticking around, um, great people like Danny Schumann uh, and, uh, and Amelia Forzak and, a number, and Ali, Ali Karbasi and a number of people who are still working here uh, two years later were some of the first members we had. So That's awesome. And I think that's a testament to the amazing community that you're building here at Second Shift. And at that point in the Second Shift story, are you sort of day in and day out, you know, working at Second Shift? Yeah, while also teaching full time at DePaul and thankfully not bartending anymore. Yeah. So I quit bartending one week before Second Shift opened, uh, which is an interesting leap. I went from like bartending uh, to like, there's my, my, like, you know, like I had a manager and a boss and all that stuff. And I was just like, I'm leaving because I'm going to go be a boss. Like, um, so, uh, yeah, we, I, full time is, my eyes are almost like glazing over because like thinking of how much work it is. So at that point, were you sort of, you know, scared to leave this steady bartending job or, you know, were you ready to dive in? full force with second shift time wise time wise i had to quit the bartending job okay. monetarily yeah it's been it's been for me personally it has been a very rocky road uh like in terms of financial security um and it's it's been i've had to like do what i've had to do and like work work a lot um i i don't teach and run second shift just for the joy of teaching um, it's nice to have a steady paycheck from DePaul uh, to allow me to spend my time working here. So uh, just doing uh, second, to answer your question, second shift takes full-time effort uh, from somebody. And so that's been me most of the time. And Nicole, of course, too, helping me out. Or not, not just helping me, I'd actually restate that, restate that, but Nicole and I just working together the whole time. So you're starting second shift and I'm sure, you know, it's very stressful. You got a lot going on at that moment. Did you experience any type of burnout? Mm, I think that yes is the short answer. Um, like I said earlier, I feel like I have a lot of capacity for work. I don't mind working. I will put in the time I, you know, I grew up chopping wood and, and throwing hay bales, literally doing those activities. And so I don't mind manual labor. I've mopped and swept this place myself tons of times. Um, but uh, what I have really been learning now after experiencing some burnout is that, I mean, any project is really as good as the champions behind it, I think. Great ideas are a dime a dozen. They almost don't matter. I mean, you hear people say, talk about like, it's the sweat, you know, sweat that matters and blah, blah. And I, that is really true. I mean, uh, I literally have a list of like business ideas that I would give you guys to work on. Like, I don't like somebody should do these ideas. They're good ideas. The ideas don't matter. I can come up with a new business idea every day. I could come up with 10 right now if I wanted to. That's not the thing. It's more so like who is willing to put in the time. And so the thing is that I've been willing to put in the time. Nicole has put in a ton of time as well. We don't work this, just to clarify, we don't work the same amount of hours on the business that we're just set up so that I do more of the day-to-day -day operations, which requires more time. Uh, so I'm doing more of the day-to-day -day and that means that um, there's gonna be times where I'm like, oh, I am like tired of doing all of this stuff day in and day out. And so what, what I think the lesson is there is like, it takes one set of effort and almost skills to like, drive through the muck and get through the tough times and like be leaving here at midnight throwing trash out in a dumpster and coming back at 7 a.m to open and finish cleaning and doing all that stuff like there's those moments and then there's also moments where like 
not only not only uh, can't you do everything that it takes to run the business, but you you just literally shouldn't be um, because you need other eyes, you need other problem solving skills. You need to be working on a new set of issues versus an old set of issues. If one of the first problems we have is uh, the we're out of creamer in the fridge, we have coffee here and we need fresh creamer in the fridge. Um, it's actually not something that I've handed off yet, so I still make sure that there's fresh creamer in the fridge. Um, but you know, in the last two years that we've operated, we've grown a team of managers that help us run the space where I, as the founder, literally can't do all this stuff. I can't onboard people and make new door cards. I can't also be answering the door for guests, making sure there's coffee, making sure all the tables are clean, making sure the music is the right volume, making sure mail gets put away, making sure that people have cords to plug their computer in the internet. All that stuff I just mentioned can literally happen at the same exact moment. And so as the founder, I need to be working on the set of problems that, that are in my purview that are gonna allow this company to grow and succeed. And so does my co-founder, Nicole. And so we need to be doing other stuff than some of that day-to-day. -day. Not above or better than doing that stuff, but the success of any venture or any company is gonna require <clears throat> some amount of scale. And I don't even mean you know, be having a billion users. I just mean like the, 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 the nature of the things you work on every day grows and changes as the business grows and changes. <clears throat> and so allowing yourself as a, as a founder to grow with that change means not, for me, not getting burned out on repetitive day-to-day -day tasks that are nest fundamental to the business succeeding, but giving myself new challenges, because there's never not problems to solve, new challenges around how do I make people, how do I facilitate connection among members? How do I grow new streams of revenue? How do I connect with the community more around me? That's way different and, and I'm, great, I'm glad, grateful for those problems versus how do I get more people in the door? We still need more people in the door, but um, we've reached a point where I can shift my focus to other things. Um, did that answer your question? I'm starting to get away from it, but uh, I'm sort of dodging around, the, I'm not, not intentionally, but I just, I feel like I sort of dodge around the burnout question to say, yeah, if you just do the same thing in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out, mm -hmm. especially if it's over some amount of life balance capacity that you have, people need to sleep, people need to eat, people need to exercise. If you're not, people need to spend time with their loved ones. People need to stare at the wall and do nothing. People need to binge Netflix. Not really, we don't need Netflix. I'll take that one back. But we do need moments where we just sit and unplug our brains and literally do nothing. And if all you do is work, and I've seen, you, you hear stories about this on blogs and social media, and I have experienced it, and I have seen so many friends of mine that are one to two to three years into building a business do everything, anything it takes to build that business. And at some point, a lot of us just have this conversation where we say, we gotta do other things to make this business run. And it, and either the business evolves and me with it, or it's going to fail. Either I evolve my relation, oops, either I revolve my, evolve my relationship to, the, to what it takes to run this business, or it's going to fail. And that requires this like awareness, checking in with your ego, checking in with the tasks in front of you, checking in with maybe business partners if you have them, or investors, checking in with your goals as an organization, checking in with your goals individually. What do I even want to do with my actual time? 
when I wake up, what do I want to go do in the world? Um, <clears throat> and so it's really complex. I mean, I've mentioned like a ton of stuff now just to answer this one question, but it is really complex. And it's not just like I've worked too many hours. Burnout is not just I've put in too much time. Because honestly, I don't know that there's a number of hours that I would actually stop working at. Um, but there's just other factors in life of who do I get to spend time with? What do I, what dinner do I get to make or eat or buy or whatever it is that that's what burnout really is like is, am I fulfilled with my time that I'm spending? Because yeah. that answer can only be no for so long. You might need to overextend yourself for a little while, but it can only be no for so long. Totally agree. I think the hard work and passion that you know you put into starting Second Shift in those very early days uh, and still today is what has made it this amazing and vibrant community of entrepreneurs, um, this amazing place for anyone who's working on a new business to be. Um, and so Levi, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're extremely busy. I want to thank you for you know speaking with us today and sharing your story. Uh, if anyone wants to learn more about Levi and his, his journey, uh, please follow him on Instagram. He has the best Instagram stories I've ever seen. He's Mystery Bear, and that's bear spelled B-A-E-R on Instagram. Uh, and I'm sure you can find him on Twitter and elsewhere too. Uh, his co-working space uh, is Second Shift in Logan Square. If you're ever in the area, I think that you can get uh, you know, a day pass to check the space out. Um, and see if you might want to join this amazing community of entrepreneurs. Uh, but that ends it for us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.